You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Now I'd like to welcome Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders to our studio for the first time. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Libby. We are all hoping for a better year in 2019. 2018 saw a record number of homicides, 96, and a major increase in gun-related crimes, including some of the most shocking incidents we've ever experienced in Toronto. Case in point, little girls getting shot when a pair of thugs opened fire in a playground. And as you know, Chief, here at Zoomer, we largely serve an older demographic and uh, people feel that the violence is out of control and they just don't feel safe. So can you offer us any reassurance on that note? Yeah, each and every year, the uh, Toronto Police Service, we look at different strategies and, and try to figure out what we need to do. Uh, when it comes to gunplay and the crimes that are happening in the city, uh, we have to evolve with the criminal element, and we're seeing a prevalence of more firearms in the city. Um, so uh, our response has to be specific to gun violence reduction. If we look at the gun situation alone, while at the same time looking after business continuity for the uh, numerous calls that we get on a regular daily basis, close to 2 million calls a year, and figure out how we maximize our resources, and which is part of the modernization plan. It's not about, uh, you know, the conclusions are the same. We want to reduce crime, but the, the big thing is how we do it. And so in today's environment, utilizing technology, uh, figuring out what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing, partnerships with other agencies and entities to figure out what we all need to do collectively to enhance community safety. Mm-hmm. And how do you reduce this explosion of gun violence? Well, I've spoke on it. The vast majority of people that are involved in uh, gun activity are street gang members. And, and um, you know, that there's a big social piece that needs to be, uh, in, investments need to be put in in order for that to be the reduction. So at the front end of things, uh, allowing these uh, young men who, are, who are, are shooting each other, predominantly most of the people that do get shot in the city have a high-risk lifestyle, um, putting them uh, with more options, more tools, more resources, more hope, uh, so that when it comes to their decision-making, they make the right decisions. Um, We play the middle lane, which is when someone does decide to shoot somebody, uh, we will apprehend, and they they should be incarcerated. I think anyone that shoots somebody should be going to jail. But the third piece as well is when we already know that 90% of the inmates uh, are released, um, does the existing programs uh, help with what's going on? Are we just repeating the cycle again? So investments at the front end, at the middle end, and at the back end, uh, as well is, you know, there has to be a deterrent factor. Encompassing all of those things require a lot of hands. Um, Just dropping it in front of the police and say, here, solve, is certainly not going to uh, um, remedy the problem. And I think we've learned that year after year. The Telic report just came out a few days ago. The conclusion was that carding basically has no value in solving crimes or almost no value. Uh, do you agree with that? I, I don't think that that was what the translation came out to be. Uh, if, if you read the report carefully, you will learn that uh, there's no magic, there's no silver bullet to solving the problem. Um, and, and so there are critics that say, because this was gone, that has happened. Uh, that's not necessarily correct. It's a sum of all parts. And, uh, you know, the review speaks to uh, carding. And, 
for the first time, it defines it and it speaks to the random stopping of uh, individuals and gathering information. And I, I'm here to say that um, that's just unlawful policing. Um, has nothing to do with what uh, we should be doing on a day-to-day basis. And so um, looking at different strategies and different tools that are available to us, uh, I think is the, is the go forward and, and, and uh, the education piece for the public as, as well as for law enforcement to figure out uh, the role that uh, we play whenever we're in communities, especially communities that have uh, um, a lot of uh, gunplay within their areas. The way I had it explained to me by people who support carding is uh, they said, okay, uh, when it was in place, these gang members hesitated to carry their guns around all the time. Now they don't. And uh, therefore, when they see someone they want to shoot, they open up and no matter where they are. Is, is that a valid argument? Well, they're, 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 that's not the only narrative. There are a lot more narratives that, that come into play, first and foremost, uh, as I stated at the, at the start. There are a lot more handguns that are out there. Access to firearms is, has increased substantially. And, and my role in, in, in the Toronto Police Service, we're looking for people that are motivated to shoot other people. And, and so um, when we look at the high number of firearms that are available, um, that becomes a, a problem first and, and foremost. Uh, we know through intelligence and through debriefs and all kinds of things, most people carry uh, firearms to protect themselves. And then what happens is, that, and they're all within a uh, street gang subculture, and then what happens is um, there are uh, moments uh, when we have flashpoints, we have retaliations, where they'll be shooting back and forth. Um, but carding, um, if it's not, uh, you know, first off, in the definition of the report, it talks about random. Um, there should be no actions with police agencies that are random, first and foremost. Um, this is a democracy that we live in, and uh, you have to have a reason for why you're doing it. And you can't do it alone just because of the color of a person or the neighborhood of a person. You have to have an understanding of the environment. The social cost to all of our actions play a much stronger, significant role. And so um, to be more informed, uh, I think, is a better solution. Uh, the vast majority of the community wants to help. Um, you've got uh, little boys and little girls, as you stated earlier, playing in playgrounds, and moms and dads don't want their kids shot. So the vast majority of members of the community want the police in the neighborhood. They want help from the police in the neighborhood. And um, we have to figure out um, how to strengthen those relationships so that um, we get the right information, which we do because we're making a tremendous amount of arrests when it comes to it, and a lot of that is community-led. Uh, but strengthening that is going to be critical. So the neighborhood officer program is is one of the factors as well as a lot of other things that we need to put into play. Um, The report also said that it was okay to have street checks under certain circumstances. So what are those circumstances? Well, again, it, it's a matter of understanding law. Most police officers on the front line understand law. So this is more of a nuance for the public to understand because the vast majority of people will see a police officer talking to somebody, not in the car, but out in the beat, and right away default that to carding. Um, and that's not necessarily correct. Um, officers, for example, if they're in certain areas where they act as agents um, and uh, there's a high number of complaints for either drug use or uh, solicitation or things along those lines, um, then police officers can uh, act as agents and and um, and remove those trespassers, and they can legally stop them, legally detain them, legally uh, get the information off them, and then uh, do whatever needs to be done, whether it's a caution or a ticket or, or apprehension, depending on the circumstance. And secondly, if officers have information 
um, they're allowed to uh, utilize their powers. So if they hear a particular individual is over there and, and witnesses are saying they're seeing these short exchanges of packages for money uh, over a period of time and they see that, then they can approach that person and, and, and start the uh, investigative detention process and, and search and do all the other things. So there are a lot of moving parts. And, and to the vast majority of public, when they see a police officer speaking with a member of the public, they automatically default it to um, carding or random stopping. And that's not necessarily the case. What I've heard from officers uh, and other people in law enforcement is that at, at this point, just because of the temperature of this debate, that a lot of them don't want to get involved and they're worried about being called racists and being, you know, outed on social media. It has political correctness uh, kind of tainted this whole issue? Well, when you look at our numbers, I strongly, first off, the, the work that the frontline men and women do in this city is tremendous. Every day I am reading occurrences and, and, and reading the actions that are taken by the frontline men and women, and they do a fantastic job. So I, I really uh, do think that our, our folks uh, have thick skin. And, and when you uh, enter into policing right now, you're subjected to uh, more scrutiny. We have more oversight than, than any other entity that I can think of. And and so we have to, uh, through comprehensive training and, and working with law instead of against law and working with community uh, are all of the things that we move towards in our training uh, to all of our initiatives, uh, to the partnership pieces that we have. And, and so uh, I would say that uh, if there is anyone that thinks like that? I would say that the numbers are small because the vast majority of, of men and women that I see, that I read about, uh, do the right things for the right reasons on a day-to-day basis. Nobody wants a, a person uh, with a gun on the street, and, and the officers will, will act according when they have that the proper information to respond. The Tulloch report also said that this has to be accompanied with, with more money for community policing. And every time we talk to Mike McCormick, he brings up resources. And, and, uh, you know, when you talk to him, his answer to everything is, is more money and more cops on the street. Meanwhile, you're trying to modernize. So um, where's the balance on that? Well, policing has so many grades to it. There is no such thing as a proper number. I've, I've yet to have anyone tell me what the proper number is, but we can utilize tools, which when we talk about the modernization plan, which uh, the chair and myself have put together with a, an extensive team of, of members of the service and from the community, um, we have measuring tools we've never had before to give us objective evidence with respect to workload, with respect to what's happening where and what times of days and trends and patterns. So there's the one angle, but then when we look at today's environment and the objective of of the modernization plan is to create a model that is going to be sustainable today's in today's changing environment. Um, things are moving exponentially. You have to be nimble in any environment. When you look at other industries, not just policing, but other industries, and you see those industries that don't move at the rate of the, the environment, and they collapse. They fail very quickly. Um, I'm hoping that uh, with this modernization plan, it is evergreen, and, and we change uh, with respect to the way the community, the society wants us to change. Uh, the pressures are different. The crimes are different. Uh, um, and so all of these things have to come into play. But more importantly, utilizing to our maximum capacity 
what are we training and what resources are we giving frontline police officers? And then saying, what does the public expect those officers to do? And so I'm going to suggest for those violent crimes, people want the police there. That's what they're trained Quickly. to do. Quickly. Yes. And, and so looking at all of the calls that we do on a day-to-day basis, and, and, and we do 2 million a year, and knowing that 40% of those calls are non-emergency calls, there's a lot of red meat in there that we can tackle and not have police officers or frontline police officers do that work. There are other ways in which we can approach it, either utilizing our people, different resources or technology uh, and, and a whole bunch of different things we're putting into play, including the shift scheduling and, and a lot of things that were antiquated that we're moving towards now. And, and um, you know, it's, it's not going to be straight line. It never is when it comes to exponential change, but we are moving in the right direction. So it's, it's not just an answer of more people. It's utilizing the right resources at the right time for the right uh, particular activities that you're asking of them. But do you need more people than you have money for? I would never say no to more people. I I mean, at the end of the day, I can always put people out to do certain things. But at at the end of the day, um, what we find historically is when we put more people in, we inherit more responsibilities. We should not be doing school crossing guards. We should not be doing lifeguards. And, and these are things that we were doing. These are things that we should not be doing. We're no longer doing them. And, and so when it comes to the deployment piece, we have an opportunity to continuously measure, to look at, to see what the right number is for um, for each given day and each given moment that we have uh, to police a city. Okay, uh, I'm going to take a call from Diane in Toronto. Hello, Diane. Hi, Libby. Hi, Chief. Uh, first of all, I want to say that I uh, support our police department 100%, and I thank them for their service. I can't imagine why anyone would become a police officer in this environment. But things that I'm concerned with, uh, uh, there was a report recently that came out, and it said uh, people of color uh, represent, I think it was 18% of the population, and yet the level of crime is 80% from that direction. We have a problem with a a certain segment of the black community, and we don't seem to address that. I get so tired of hearing, as your guest yesterday was going on about Libby, about the carding, and it's because we're black, and this happens because we're black. It it does happen because people are black. I mean, not. not, I I won't say how prevalent it is, but but it does. And they criticize the police department for everything. You know, even that Black uh, Black Lives uh, Matter organization, if they applied some of their efforts to help in the communities where these kids are not being raised with any guidance or or anything, and and, and they end up on the street and street gangs and such, those com- those organizations could really help the situation. But to constantly criticize the police, you know, you stop me because of this, and you're picking on me because of that. We have to stop that. We uh, really have okay, to stop Diane, that. Okay, Diane, I'm I'm going to let the chief respond. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Dan. First off, Dan, thanks for, for supporting us and, and the work that we do. We don't hear that enough, and so every now and then when we do hear that, it's very refreshing. I, I think what you speak to, though, is um, recognizing that there is a very large social piece to everything. Social justice plays a much stronger role um, within, our, um, within our environment right now. <clears throat> Uh, I worked homicide eight and a half years, and and I've got no problem saying, and I've said it in many of uh, the places I've spoken to, that that we've got young black boys killing young black boys. Um, But that still should not translate to every 
young black boy being stopped. So um, trying through through training, through Im- implicit bias training, which we were the first in Canada to to teach every member of our service. Um, at the end of the day, everybody wants to be treated with dignity and respect, and and we train towards the importance of that. It doesn't matter who you are, or what you do. Um, we treat everybody with that decency and respect, and, and we can go a long way in, in moving things forward. When it comes to the color piece, um, I, I think it, it speaks to what I said at the start, where there have to be investments in the right place. Uh, people do not uh, are not born wanting to be a street gang member. That that just doesn't happen that way. But what builds that story to get them in that situation. The root cause of, of the criminal behavior needs to be looked at and addressed, and, and, and that's what we're moving towards to have some holistic solutions to it. Before we take a break, uh, just on the note of people being stopped because they're black, and I've seen many examples of that, Chief, I read that you were followed by security guards going shopping. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, on 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 numerous occasions. Listen, racism exists everywhere. It exists in radio. Exists in any uh, environment. And um, my wife, uh, who would be my first witness to to account and see on on numerous occasions, not just one occasion. I don't speak to one offs. I, I speak to uh, as a black man living in the city. There is a different experience uh, being black, and and so um, we really need to strip down. Uh, our training and understanding of, of the dynamics of what is going on if we're, if we're going to get this right and uh, again it, it speaks to uh, proper training um, you know we used to the training piece used to be about use of force use of force arrest apprehension um, th- there's a much bigger picture in today's environment for law enforcement if we're going to be successful in, in what we're trying to do okay we've got to take a quick break before we go to break the numbers 416-360-0740 toll-free one 866-744-740. And on the other side, we'll continue our conversation with Chief Mark Saunders. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am here with Toronto Police Chief Mark Saunders. 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-744-740. And I, I, I want to turn to another kind of crime now shoplifting. Uh, This week, we saw that incredible report about 9,000 heists at LCBO stores where thugs just come in and and walk out. And for sure, if it's happening at the LCBO, it's happening elsewhere. And so I want to just get one thing straight. Is it correct that the police now don't respond to a shoplifting call? Well, you know, it's not that we don't. <clears throat> it depends on the type of call. And again, when we speak to anything that involves any type of violence, but we're going to be there. We're going to respond. But when you look at the vast majority of calls that we get, it, it's 99% reactive. We show up and then what we get, uh, he or she went that way. And, and so um, having two officers there to take notes to say on this date, this time, a certain person did this and then went that way, um, we can do that digitally. And we do do that digitally. Um, it doesn't diminish the quality of the investigation. Uh, we still get the attachments of the photos that they will have through their systems. It'll still be sent to us. It will still be investigated. Um, but it's it's not 
two officers after seven o'clock going in and, and, and being occupied with that. And we spoke to, again, uh, that and theft of gas, the exact same thing. Uh, the officer shows up, and if it's after 7 p.m., two officers show up, and then they write in their notebooks everything that is said to them, and then they take the, the, the disc, and then they go back to the cars, and then they fill in the exact paperwork that they've put in on here, and then it gets shipped off. Now we're saying, you can do that. And you can keep those officers that are highly trained and have the gun belts and the vests that are trained to deal with one of our most predominant calls we get right now, which nobody talks about, is the increase of people that live with mental health issues, which are our biggest flashpoints in the city. The numbers have not gone down. As long as I've been on this job, the numbers continue to go up. They went up again last year, and, and they did the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that. And we are responding to thousands of these calls. But these calls also have the ability of being flashpoints to us. And so um, where I allocate my officers and why becomes something that's important. But I, I will tell you, the report taking for these types of investigations can be done differently, and they are being done differently, and apprehensions are still being made. Okay, nobody wants um, somebody who works in a store or even a, a security guard to put themselves at risk. The, the point is, and, and these are... Only, I say, crimes of property. But <clears throat> if if there's a feeling that people can just walk into an LCBO or to a high-end clothing store and just help themselves and walk in, doesn't that contribute to a whole kind of um, atmosphere of, of lawlessness? Um, I will say no to that because most people are law-abiding, which is why when you look at the setup, uh, of how LCBOs are designed is because they know that 99.9% .9 of the people, the customers, consumers that they're dealing with are in fact law-abiding. And, and so that's why the design is that way. There are mechanisms and alternatives which can be done in today's environment where you can still have your alcohol that you want to purchase, but the layout might be different. There may be different mechanisms put in play. I certainly don't want uh, anyone to put themselves in harm's way. Uh, it speaks to a, a much uh, louder message, which is um, people that are stealing alcohol um, and are they uh, dependent on alcohol because I know uh, talking to a lot of the frontline officers they're apprehending people that, that have social issues and now you want to bring these people with social issues through a judicial system which is a wrong mechanism for that type of thing and some people do it deliberately because you know, it's called out and they want to do a couple of days in, in, in jail so there's a much bigger picture I have heard but, of that but I, 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 really, I really do think that what we need to do is again uh, working with partners in, in this case LCBO what are alternative delivery methods what are alternative ways in looking at your environment and, and, and current, you know uh, preventing crime through environmental design there are a whole host of things and a whole host of opportunities that I think can come into play but again um, our response to all of these calls is reactive and, and so it's our response is still the same it's reactive do you believe in the broken window theory that you know, if things are allowed to just slide in a neighborhood that continues, that contributes to crime? Uh, broken window, it, you know, it, there was a time and place for that. And I think before um, social justice came in and social cost of police activity uh, was less challenged, um, it was a very hard-hitting and very compelling um, um, mechanism. What we do is we're more intelligence-led. And, and when we look at the violent crimes, it's intelligence-led. We've apprehended more guns than we have in years before. And that is because we've been surgical, that we have been 
intelligence-led. Um, when it comes to the community, um, they're not seeing any effects of it because we're only going after the criminal element, the, the criminal community. And uh, we're, we're doing the job just as effectively, but there is an increase. There's an increase of gun violence and there's an increase of, of access to firearms. But with other crimes as well, too, uh, that's when we work in, in conjunction with communities. Communities always have the better solutions. When we work together, we can have sustainable solutions. And it's not just a matter of saying, air police, fix it. It's a matter of, no, this is your neighborhood. This is your environment. This is your business. Let's collectively sit down and figure out what we can do to make things uh, more sustainable and, and more resistant to any of the elements or entities that, that you're going to be up against in today's environment. Okay, let's take a call from Alexis in North York. Hi, Alexis. Oh, hello, Libby. Um, nice to be able to get onto your show, and you are—you have a fabulous show. So, thank, thank you very you. much, um, Libby. Uh, and hello, Chief. Hello, Libby. The reason for my call is this is a huge problem with the, the criminal element undermining seniors that nobody seems to be addressing. I'm a senior, and I live in an area of North York. It's called Underhill Drive. Right across from me is a plaza. A criminal element is in that plaza 24-7. I've called 33 Division with regards to it because I think the people that are in there have friends in my building, and they have been accessing my apartment continuously. They have destroyed my furniture. They have destroyed my apartment. They have been undermining my safety and my security. I have called the chief's office. I have emailed the chief's office on a regular basis. Do you know what they do? They turn around and say you have mental problems. You don't have mental problems if you're not complaining about the police not doing their job. When you complain about things that are happening and ongoing, I've been in this building since May of this year, and this has been an ongoing situation. I've reported it to 33 Division. They've sent uh, an officer here. Uh, she came twice. I've been emailing her every day. This is what is going on. As a matter of fact, what is even more bizarre, they have an inside entry into my apartment because I lock my windows, I lock my doors, I get up in the morning, my handbag has been rifled through, uh, they've got uh, Wi-Fi in my apartment watching me in my bathroom, etc. This has been going on since May of this year, since uh, Alexis, I moved back to this city. Alexis, I'm going to let the chief respond because we're almost out of time. Thanks okay, for your call. thank you. No, Alexis, uh, first off, thank you for calling in and, and your concerns. And you do address something, which is, the, you know, Libby, you know better than me, uh, and, and this station, what it represents, that this is the largest and fastest growing demographic in our country. And, and so, again, when it talks about policing, this is stuff that we have to identify. This is stuff that we need to collectively work on in order to be successful. Because if we're going to police properly, we have to community, we have to police everybody everybody and create the right equity for everybody um so when it comes to the 65 and older crowd one of my biggest concerns is not what's on the outside of doors but we have to look at policing now 
more victimization is happening on the inside of doors with digital technology, with defrauding, with all kinds of things. I have to provide the resources and tools necessary to help reduce and eliminate and make apprehensions for that because there are criminal elements and organized elements that are capitalizing, that are exploiting in larger numbers than ever before. And so when we speak to the modernization plan as a whole, Libby, that's what this is all about, where we stop doing certain things because there are more things that we have to look at and we have to be able to look ahead and around the corner as well if we're going to be successful. You're talking about elder abuse, which is largely financial. And it's growing and it's a, it's a huge concern. And it's, it's something I think that is not getting the vocal amount of energy that it really needs to get right now. And, and so I'm, I'm trying my best to move towards that. I have consultative committees and a whole host of different things that we talk on specific to this because I don't see it going down. I see it going up. And, um, and you had one, you have one officer dealing with that? No, I have, I have, well, I have, one officer, but I also have the consultative committee now, which I started just a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, and that is increasing and that is growing. It's incorporated in our training. We're adding more resources from an operational perspective as well, but we also have to get active when it comes to the defrauding piece and also in, in making the city more senior friendly, because when we look at our yeah. pedestrian fatalities, uh, 65 oh, and yeah. older, mid-block are the two most highly driven denominators that that we need to have a very serious look at. So working with Zoomer and other entities, uh, getting that awareness piece out there, I think is something that's critical for us if we're going to be successful. Okay. Thank you so much. I wish we could continue that conversation, and I hope you'll come back another time and we can continue it. Chief Mark Saunders, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Libby. It was great being here. Okay. And uh, that's all the time we have for Fight Back for today. Free for All Friday coming up tomorrow. And we now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.